tomorrow. Uh, I know a lot of people um, in the United States. Uh, uh, we, they, in a way, celebrate. I don't want to use the word celebrate, uh, the Halloween, uh, but that's what they do. Uh, as a Christians, I don't think we celebrate Halloween per se, but we can obviously enjoy, you know, with our neighbors and with our people, our friends possibly. But um, let me just give you a brief background of what Halloween is and actually what day is October 31st is. I think it's very important as a Christians to know this. Uh, Halloween, uh, it was a pagan uh, Celtic holiday, believing that the dead came as ghosts and wandered around. And, and in order for you to save, stay, stay safe, people put food on the doorstep to avoid ghosts to enter into their houses. So that was one of the Celtic practice, traditional practice. Um, and people also wore masks pretending to be ghosts uh, to fool actual ghost that's what they believed and later on due to the influence of catholicism uh, it became all saints day or hollow day uh, celebrating in the honor of the dead saints and praying for the dead um, later it was adapted by obviously irish americans around 18th century and celebrated in america and starting about 1950s, he evolved into a huge commercialized event, trick-or-treating. <laughs> and it is the second biggest spending event for American people today after Christmas. And a lot of other countries now, influenced by the American culture, they do, um, um, they do this Halloween. Um, as a matter of fact, I was reading a news um, about there was about um, more than like almost 200 people died in the Halloween party um, on the street because there were so many people uh, in Korea as they were trying to you know um, trying to you know to have party Halloween party but because of the so many people. Uh, some people actually by accident died, and it's a huge news right now, even internationally. But that's what's happening in our culture today. And I'm not necessarily saying that the Halloween is bad or good. I'm not going to talk about that today. But if you want to talk about it, we can certainly talk about it. But I just want to point out that the correlation between the church and culture and I think we really need to be mindful of our culture and what is happening, especially as Christians, so that we will learn how to navigate in this culture to be effective Christians. And I just wanted to point that out that, that how unbiblical concepts are kind of uh, planted in this, uh, this Halloween celebration, like praying for the dead, ghosts being dead people, etc. Uh, I think we need to be very careful and discern such things, um, even with influence of the Christian church. So uh, we have to be mindful of that. Okay? And I think it is very important for us, the church, to keep biblical teaching, uh, biblical principles and theology intact for our faith, I think it is very pivotal for us to firmly hold on to the teachings of the Scripture without compromise. So it is my prayer that all of us, we will 
discern even this time of Halloween. But did you know, interestingly, October 31st, before the Halloween started, is the Reformation Day. Um, it is a day that the Martin Luther stood against the unbiblical teachings of the Catholic Church in 1517. Um, again, if you don't know the history of it, but let me just briefly give you what it is, because uh, Reformation of Faith, it was very much um, important um, event, historical event for Christian church, uh, especially for Protestants. Um, but anyway, on October 31st, uh, 1517, Martin Luther wrote to uh, Arbret, the Archbishop of Mainz, protesting against the sale of indulgences. And indulgences were sanctioned by the Catholic Church in which people can pay and buy forgiveness uh, with money, right? And uh, it was a great way of fundraising for the Catholic Church during the time. And Martin Luther was standing against, he was a monk, a Catholic monk, uh, but standing against such unbiblical teachings. He said, we need to go back to the Bible. And the Bible doesn't tell anything about praying to the dead, raising money, or buying the forgiveness, all that. So it was not for mere reformation of the Catholic Church per se. I mean, if you really think about it, he kind of failed. <laughs> Still, we don't. We, uh, but uh, in itself, however, it was, I think, a calling for the reformation of faith. Now, the Martin Luther's main theological focus was on grace, faith, and scripture. Very fundamentals of Christian faith. Um, and I believe that it is much needed in today's world as we are living in very interesting cultural, world, cultural uh, shift. Um, and so many Christians are now influenced by the distorted truth of the Bible. And we need to go back to the Bible, study the Bible, understand very clearly what the Bible says. And as Christians, we really need to stay uh, and hold firm uh, in our faith in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now, therefore, thus, we starting last week, if you're with us, we have been studying the topic of grace. And I think it was also so appropriate for us to study this topic as we have already been learning about faith that works through the book of James. And it is my prayer that the, the Lord will grant us the understanding that we will continue our faith journey by God's grace and finish this last quarter of 2022. We are about to go into November. We have only two months to go for 2022. And I think I talked to some of you individually, but we really need to, um, individually as well as corporately, uh, really recalibrate our faith so that we can really start strong 2023. Many things can happen and will happen, I think, in 2023, and we need to prepare for, for that as God's people. Amen? So for better understanding, let us briefly go over the last week's teaching on the grace of God. And there are four points for you to remember. You can always go back to uh, our YouTube channel and study. Please do if you missed last week. Uh, it's very important. But let me just briefly give you four points on grace. Uh, that we talked about last week so that we can continue this week's teaching, okay? First, the grace of God is ultimately revealed through Jesus Christ uh, to us. If you look at John chapter 1, verse 16 through 18, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another, 
For the law was given through Moses, the law, Ten Commandments, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and one only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. So only through Jesus we will understand God's unmerited favor, God's truth, God's grace. Without Jesus, you will not be able to know. That's why the truth, by definition, is exclusive. And only through Jesus, you will know the truth, but nothing but the truth about God and truth of God. So that's why we are so caught up with worshiping Jesus, spreading the name of Jesus, and teaching the, the, the teachings of Jesus. Amen? Now, how can we know God's grace extends to us? How do we know that we can? Well, just again, look at the cross, look at Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's grace. So when we say God is gracious, look at Jesus, who gave his only son and die on our behalf and whoever believes in Jesus no matter who you are again inclusive anyone can come to know Jesus and through Jesus you can receive that grace of God which is unmerited favor that even though we are sinners we can be forgiven and we can be accepted that's what Jesus is all about now secondly so grace is revealed through Jesus but also grace of God is accepted by faith Oh, you cannot just receive grace just because you're a human being. Actually, only those who believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans 5.22 says, Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Basically, in order for God's grace to work in our lives into salvation, we must respond to God's grace with faith. It's a mutual relationship. It's not just because you're sitting here in the church, be inside of the building, does not mean that you will receive the grace of God. Yes, there is a common grace that God is merciful to the world and that God sustains, but when we talk about the saving grace, you have to, be, you have to receive the grace of God through faith. Without faith, you will not be able to understand nor you will not be able to receive God's grace. So God's grace is not effective unless it is accepted by, accepted through faith. Okay, very important. Uh, when we say God love unconditionally, yeah, God love, we have to be very careful about that. God loves everyone, regardless of your background, regardless of your race, regardless of your economic status. But one thing though, if you really want to experience God's love and grace and mercy and all that, you, is it conditional? You need to receive faith. You need to activate your faith. You need to believe in him. Without faith, you will not be saved. We will not be receiving the grace of Christ. Um, that's in the Bible. So that's why we need to be very clear about what we say, especially as Christians when we're trying to uh, preach the gospel to the people. We cannot just say, oh, God will just forgive whatever that you are doing, and God loves just as you are. Hmm. No, come as just as you are and believe in him that as you receive God's grace, he will change you to be holy and righteous in the sight of God. Amen? So we have to clarify certain phrases and models out there today in the name of evangelism. I think it is very important as a Christians to know this in this cultural wars that we are engaging as a church. Third truth about grace, the grace of God must be exercised with holiness. Uh, we will talk about this more uh, today. 
But some people uh, reason that since uh, the, uh, some people think that we can, we are as we are saved by God's grace, we are free to do whatever we wish. If you look at Second Corinthians six one, it says, "As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. You can't just live the way that you want anymore." Just because you think you believe and you receive God's grace and you are forgiven. Well, uh, as soon as you receive God's grace and you, build, you enter into the relationship with God, that's when you start to live a holy life, not by your might, but by God's grace. He will enable you to live a holy life and teach you how to live a holy life. But the grace of God must be exercised with holiness. We will actually expound on this point later today. But that's what we talked about. Fourthly, last but not least, about the important thing that you need to know about grace of God is this. Grace of God must be expanded through the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4.15 says, All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Paul is basically saying the, the grace of God is reaching more and more people through the gospel, and more and more people will receive as they activate their faith and repent of their sins and come back to God, and more and more people, meaning God's kingdom will be expanded through God's grace being expanded as well. So that's the idea of, of it. We are to expand the grace of God by reaching out to more people, sharing through our testimonies how the grace of God that we have received through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, today, I know there was a review. The reason why I've talked about all that, even though you can go back to the YouTube teaching, is this, in YouTube channel, is this. We really need to understand today's thing, uh, the persistent grace with that background. So let's focus on the effect of grace of God in our daily lives. In particular, I would like to talk more about the persistent grace of God, his undying love that keeps on going after us. Okay? So when we say persistent grace, we mean by persistence is tenacity. God loves us such ten- with such tenacity that he never gives, us, gives up on us. He will be with you. He will continue to be with you, and he will help you, even though you might and we might struggle with temptation, even falling into sin, but because of persistence, grace of God, he will help you to overcome at the end as you activate your faith. Now, the question then is this. How can we discover God's grace being real in our life? How can we know that we are really receiving God's grace? How can we discover that in our lives? Just two things. Let me give you these suggestions. We must realize and acknowledge the persistent grace of God in our own lives as well as in this world. So first, let's zoom into our own lives. We must understand God's persistent grace exerted in your own life. My brothers and sisters, please listen. We are what we are today by God's grace. You're sitting here with your family members, some of you. You are, have your own family. You have your own kids, maybe. Your grandchildren, maybe. We went through so much, but we are here today. 
And you are listening to this message and you are worshiping with us because you know who Jesus is and you have the saving knowledge of God. Now, that is all by God's grace. You and I, we are who we are by God's grace, just like Paul is saying. Just think about your life for a moment. What do you see? Just go back to your life. Look at the past and see. I think you will see some successes in your life. Maybe there could be our testimonies after testimonies, how there are the list of our successes, answer prayers, accomplishments and trophies, and maybe some achievement, right? But these things, these are the things that we wish we will always experience and testify about. We have that, but that's all also by God's grace. All the blessings that we received, it's by God's grace. I mean, just look into your life and think about it. The fact that you can actually have your life today. That's what I try to do. I always, in the morning, when I send my kids to school, I'm, um, it's been like a one year that we moved into our, our, our house. And I look back and I go, how far, I mean, until now, how God was really helping our family, providing all the things that we need, and how we ended up here. And I give thanks um, and all the things. So just go back, all the successes that you might experience, all the blessings that you might experience. We all know that we have to remember that it's by God's grace. Even many failures that we have experienced, we call these malpractices, I'm sure. We may even call these sins or failures or mistakes. Even those times, these are the things that we wish never happened in our lives we want to kind of get rid of them. We don't want to even think about them. I'm sure you have those things, right? Things that you don't want to think about. Things that you don't want to remember. But we need to come to realization that if you really want to understand the persistent grace of God, we cannot deny all these legacies and experiences of success and failure in life, even failures. In fact, if we deny our failures, it can leave our faith naive and ultimately without any credibility. In spite of all our failures, God's been so gracious to us that we somehow ended up here. Maybe we're still overcoming some of the issues from the past, but we know our life is not just good things. But if you really understand the persistent grace of God, we need to look at our life as a whole. Bad, good ugly, whatever happened to us. And you have to, we have to realize, man, in spite of all that, God's been so gracious that I am today here. I know nowadays we don't want to talk about our past and we want to hide some of the things. But we can say through it all, God's been so gracious to me, especially even in our failures, falling into sin, the mistakes that we have made. God has forgiven us. God has given us grace so that we can get out of that. More, we are still being out of it. But that's really faith. That's what's really understanding what persistent grace is all about. That is why at the end of the day, we cannot really complain about our lives. 
But that's what we do. We complain about the little things, the big things. And I know unfortunate things and horrific things can happen to us even in our past. But as we look back through the eyes of faith, you can say, you know what? God is so gracious to me that I'm here today, sitting here, listening to this message. I'm here today worshiping Jesus in spite of all the things that, I, that happened to me through my own mistakes or through the mistakes of others, my own sins and sins of our fathers or, or sins of our, the people around us, yet God's sustaining us and God is with me and God led me to be here and led to thee the, the saving knowledge of God in Christ. That is something we need to understand. So Christian life, in reality, doesn't teach us to forget the past or avoid. It, it says we need to learn through it. We need to, by God's grace, we need to have this, this faith mindset, understanding that through it all, God's been so faithful and gracious. We need to get to that point. Amen. That's the grace of God. So we must recognize as we look back, we need to realize in our own lives, God's been so gracious to us. So if you have temptation, face temptations to complain about your life, just pause. Think on the grace of God. Think on the things that you already you have by God's grace. Don't focus on the things that you do not have. Don't focus on things, only failures. Think about how even through their failures, God has been leading you and guiding you. And this is the process of what? Recovering and overcoming. That's what the journey of grace of God is. God is leading you, taking care of you, and we are here today. Amen. I talked to some of the persecuted church leaders back in mid-2000. It's, it's been a while, I know. Uh, we still keep in touch. And as a matter of fact, uh, our partner, uh, Pastor Jose Nationalis and uh, Re the Reverend Willie really Chua, they're actually in Nepal right now uh, and doing um, the, you know, the ministry there. Um, we need to pray for them, by the way. Um, and they will be going to the Philippines and continue their, their ministry. And, um, you know, Nepal is a very heavily persecuted place for Christians. India, Nepal, actually all around the world today. Um, and um, I remember talking to some Nepali pastors who visited India, India during the time, Coimbatore, South India, when I, when I was uh, speaking for a conference. But conference was persecuted church leaders uh, and pastors. Uh, and um, amazing, I mean, what they're going through. Yet, they are holding on to this persistent grace of God. And they say, Literally, we are here today by God's grace. And um, what, a, what, a, what a faith, what a testimonies. Um, in good times, bad times, ugly times, we see God's grace working and has been working over these years. We need to recognize that and acknowledge that. Secondly, we, need to, we must learn the persistent grace of God upon God's people from the biblical history. It's not just your life. 
from the very beginning throughout the history, especially through the biblical history, you will know God's been so faithful to God's people. Let's start from the beginning, Adam and Eve. The one who brought fall upon humanity was the one who was told about the Messiah as a Savior first. Did you know, as soon, if you look at James chapter 3, you will know. Um, when Adam fell into sin, um, they were literally in trouble, right? I mean, whole humanity fell into sin. And now we are experiencing death. Not just physical death, obviously, but also spiritual death. But he said, to do your offspring, someone will come and will save you. And that was Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus was called the second Adam. He's the one who came to recover humanity, uh, save humanity from sin. So you will know that connection from the very beginning. And just look at the, you know, the, all the Bible characters. Just read the Bible through. It's really about persistent grace of God, how it was working through God's people. You know, um, we see the story of Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, all those patriarchs. But also Jacob, you know, the Jacob. Uh, the, the, and 12 sons of Jacob became the 12 tribes of Israel. So Israel, you know, you know it started with Jacob. I mean, from Abraham, yes, but uh, the Jacob was one who Jacob's sons were going to be blessed, blessed to, to, to former, later on former tribes. Uh, you know the Jacob, he was not a good man, if you actually read about him. Um, he tricked his families, deceived his own father, mother, brother, not father and brother, to steal the blessings of God, and he did, and tried to get things what, you know, he, you know, on his own ways, and, and in, in his own ways, and he tries to, to cheat all the time. But at the end, God uh, gives him grace, and God blesses him, God changes him. And throughout that, um, even though he, he makes so many mistakes and so many sins haunt him, at the end, by God, by God's grace, he was able to choose faith, choose God. And there was a one point that he was wrestling with the angel of the Lord and, and then finally received the blessings of God in spite of his imperfect nature of a deceiver. That's Jacob. And we see Joseph. We see nation of Israel. Just read the Old Testament and see. You see this story of the persistent grace, this stubborn love. Um, I mean, just basically it's about God's people always failing to love God or rejecting God. But God is the one who always saves them. God is the one who's always chasing them. So the history of Israel is our history as well as God's people. How many times we still struggle in our sins? How many times we struggle to sin all the time? We're so easily tempted. And yet, God never gives up on us. And he gives us forgiveness through Jesus. That's why if you are a sin today, come back to God. Repent. You, God, you, God will forgive you if you genuinely come back and repent before the Lord. That's the promise. That's the persistent grace of God. So all these Bible characters, they were great faith people, yes. But if you just look at their lives, they weren't even great. They were imperfect. 
So many flaws, failures, more failures than successes, just like all of us. Yet God loves God's people. And especially when we humble ourselves, when we come to him, say, Lord, I'm nothing without you. I'm a sinner. When you omit yourself before the Lord, he will forgive you, accept you. And that's the persistent grace of God. That is given to us through Jesus Christ. That's the point that God is trying to make. I love you. I'll never give up on you. So come back to me. He's urging us. He said, what more do I have to give you to prove my love for you? And look at the cross. I send my own son, Jesus, to die and to, so that you will have a way of salvation. So come and believe in my son. Receive him in, his, in your heart. Receive my own spirit. Even the spirit of God is available to us and given to us. It's yours. Open your heart. Receive him. But unfortunately, many still resist, reject this message. Maybe some of us who are sitting in this church or listening to us through YouTube, yet you're still resisting and re rejecting his persisting, uh, persistent grace of God. Maybe it's time for you to think about opening your heart. When you receive him, things will change. It's not going to be easy, I know, because you need to start repenting, changing your ways. You need to start recalibrate your life, align yourself with Christ, and you need to do follow him, yes. But I tell you, that will lead to life. And Jesus said, I shall give you eternal life as you live in the truth. So it's your choice. Um, there's your choice component. Would you choose God today? Something to think about. The grace of God is available to all of us. Now, as we discover this persistent grace of God in and through our lives, how is this grace of God lived in our lives? Like, what should be our response? Like, how should we respond to this persistent grace? And if you understand as believers of Jesus, receive this and understand and receive this grace, how would you live? And those things I would like to talk about. Maybe I'll give you uh, three points. First, if you understand the grace of God in your life, we must live in confidence. We live in confidence. Hebrews 4, 16 says this, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. You can live in confidence. You know why? Because you have access to the throne room of God. We can come to God with boldness. If you are in need of God's need of something, come to him. Like, I don't know why many Christians, I've been making this point, we don't come to God when things, some things happens in our lives. We try first to, to find our own solution. I think a lot of men, do. I see the tendency in men to do that. We try to find a solution right away. But sometimes, not sometimes, we need to learn to humble ourselves before we do anything, before we try anything, is a time for us to really sit down with God 
if you truly believe that God is real and if you believe that you have the grace of God given to you. When you have a relationship problem with your own spouse, with, with your own friends or co-workers, before you start complaining, before you start thinking, what can I do? You stop and you seek Him. How? Through Scripture, through prayer. But that's the last resort for a lot of Christians today. I'm going to try on my own, own way. And then I'm going to go, well, you can never live in confidence then. Because at the end, the confidence in yourself, and you know yourself. I don't know about you. I know myself. And I have no confidence in me. There's no guarantee that I will succeed in what I do. And I'll make it. There's no guarantee. I, I know who I am. That's why we need to go to him. We have, we have this access to the throne room of God because of grace is given to you. Some Christians still living in the cap- captivity of their past mistakes. You're so depressed because of what happened to you or what you have done and, and you cannot get out. Well, you can live in confidence if you understand the grace of God. What are you going to do? Are you going to dwell in the past? We'll be powerless. But if you understand that you can go to God by God's grace, you can live in confidence. Find your confidence in Christ. Believe that the Lord will bless you. The Lord will be with you if you come to him. Amen. Like, I don't know. I don't know how people live without God. It's like, you know, I'm going to be make mistakes as Christians. We are going to make mistakes, but at the end of the day, we are saved. We are, we are going to be with him, and he's going to take care of us at the end of the day. That's why we can live in confidence. That's why we can literally choose to obey what's in the Bible by faith, even though it does not make any sense from the perspective of the world. That's why we choose to not to do certain things. Why we put our confidence in Christ, in God. That's faith, man. And that's how you can live. And at the end of the day, I know my life, even all the mistakes that I will make in the future and bad decisions possibly that I will make in the future, but at the end, I know I will make it because of God's grace is with me. That's faith. So today, I'm going to be living in confidence. If you do not have that, man, you're going to be living in fear, right? What's going to happen to my kids? What's going to happen to my job? What is my career in the future? Whom am I going to, am I going to get married to? I mean, all these things will come and get you, haunt you. And so many of us, we're living in this depressed life because we lack confidence, because we fail to put our confidence in Christ. We fail to see the grace of God available to us, which gives us an access to the throne room of Christ. If you are trying your best, oh, I'm smart, I'm going to make it, try it and see what happens. I'll tell you, you might be, appear to be confident, but you know yourself, there's no guarantee. Put your trust in the Lord. Live in confidence as you receive God's grace. Depend on Him.
Amen. Secondly, we need to live, if you understand we receive the grace of God, we need to live in holiness. We need to pursue holiness. I already made the point, right? The grace of God must be exercised with holiness and righteousness. Some people, I told you, they think it's a, we have a license to sin. Grace of God. And we talked about this in James, right? Book of James. So I'm not going to talk more about it. But we can never take for granted the grace of God, even if it is flowing in abundance. That's a great sin. Okay, you will not be able to experience the blessings available to you if you take advantage of the grace of God, if you take those things for granted. Romans 6, 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been free from sin. We need to live a holy life. You cannot mock God anymore. He will not be mocked by the, our hypocrisy. If you understand the grace of God, it will motivate us, it will enable us, it will actually push us to pursue holiness. If we lack that in our Christian life, that you have no desire to follow and pursue the holiness, something is definitely wrong with your faith. That's what James says. Right? Faith without deed is dead. He says, meaning you don't have faith. You don't know the grace of God. You think that you can take advantage of the grace of God or take the grace of God for granted? You do not know real grace of God. See, grace of God teaches us to live a different life. Just like we, it gives us the confidence um, from, God, from Christ, but also it teaches us to live a holy life. That's why Paul writes in Titus 2, 11 through 13, says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Listen, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-control, but to live self-control, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. Isn't it? The grace of God that brings us to salvation, it teaches us to say no to the ungodliness and worldly passions, the worldly perspectives, worldly methodologies. We say no to that. And it teaches us to live a self-controlled, interesting, upright, godly passions, godly lives in the present age. This culture is teaching us to do the opposite. Right? Self-control? Yeah. Whatever you want to say in the media, that's what you want to say. Spew out. Vent out. It's not good for you. Well, Self-control is lacking. Upright in godly lives? Yeah, right. Do whatever you want. Do whatever you wish and you desire. That's the point. That's the difference. That's ungodliness, the passion, the worldly passion. But the grace of God would help us, teaches us to say no to that. Same point, but let me expound. The grace of God not only teaches us, 
but enables us. That's, the, that's another amazing point. It enables us to, us to say no. It enables us to, to, to live a righteous life. It's not just you, because you know what? You do not have power. Your flesh is too strong. It's for truth to anybody. I don't care how godly you are. On your own, you will not make it. You are not Jesus. And Jesus knew that. That's why Jesus said as he was departing, he said, I'm going to send my spirit, the third person of God. I'm going to send Holy Spirit to you so that he will enable you. He will help you. He will not just coaching. There's a difference, right? It's not just coaching. It's not just teaching. He said he will enable you, empower you. That's the beauty of Christian life. Something happens inside of us as Holy Spirit teaches us. Stop saying to stop saying yes to these things. Start complying to the word. That's Holy Spirit enablement. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Paul said, Therefore, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will, to act according to his good purpose. We cannot do it on our own, but God helps us. That's why when you pray, when you depend on God, that's a depending on the Holy Spirit, he will literally enable you, empower you to do things that you cannot do. Whenever you are tempted, I cannot say no to these things. I still want to do it. I understand. That's when you pray. Lord, I really, really, really don't want to quit that. I really, really want to pursue that. What do I do? I know it is wrong, but I still want it. Please help me. He will help you. But people don't believe it. I don't know. I understand why people don't experience that. Do it and see what happens. Don't take just my word for it. As you read the Bible, do it. Apply it and see what happens. When you start worrying and getting depressed and, and the, all the bad things, all the past are haunting you and you are, you are remembering all these horrific memories that are trying to get you, sit down and ask God, please help me to overcome. Help me, Lord. I don't know what to do. I cannot stop thinking about it. I cannot stop feeling depressed. I don't know what. Do it and see what happens. Because the Bible says he, the grace of God will enable you and me to live a holy life. That's why Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you like an orphan. I'm not like that. It's not God gives you the law. Okay, follow. I'll be right here. You better make it here. He doesn't do that. He is with you, caring you, teaching you, just like a parent. We need to pursue holiness because of God. We can be different and holy. By the way, being holy does not mean, oh, you need to go to some kind of place. And, no, and separate your life. No, being holy is a set apart for God, being different. Not following the trends of this culture, the way of American dream. No. Christians, we are not called to follow American dreams. We are called to follow Jesus' kingdom dreams. We're in a different system, different way of living, different way of working, different way of choosing our wives, different way of what? 
choosing our career, different way of thinking, different way of raising our children. Not the American way, but godly way, the Bible way. That's who we are. And when we do, he will enable us. That's holiness, being different. Yeah, it's going to be hard. It's getting harder today in our culture. Christianity is viewed as something else. And everybody, or well, a lot of you know, mainstream cultures, try to attack what, what our belief and values. But we need to understand we're called to be different. And we will be able to because of God's grace. Let me move on. Thirdly, if we receive the grace of God, we need to live in perseverance. Everyone say perseverance. What do you mean by perseverance? Romans 5, 1 through 2 says, We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. It produces perseverance. The grace of God produces in us the perseverance so that we can continue. Did you know? When we understand, let's think about meaning of perseverance. Living in perseverance means first, we operate in living hope. We must operate in the living hope that we have in the Lord. We have a different hope. At the end of the day, things might not work out as we planned. We might be even persecuted. We might be even ridiculed. We might be be considered weird by these people around us. We might even not get what we want. We might not get rich. We might not get all the things. Maybe our career might not even turn out right as turn out the way that we want it to however at the end of the day we have a different hope our hope is not an american dream that i'm gonna make it somehow and get a nice house and nice nice family and get lots of money as much as i can that's not our hope what good is it jesus said you have everything in this world but lose your soul but even in the church we call it prosperity gospel. We focus so much on the blessings of the physical. God's going to bless you. God's going to increase you. Everything. Yet, when God blesses you, your finance will, even your physical blessings can come. It's part of it, I understand. But that's not all. That's not the main thing. What's the main thing? What's the core purpose What's the hope that we have? At the end, Jesus will be with him. At the end, we'll live for him. At the end, we'll glorify him, worship him. At the end, we'll be saved. At the end, we'll be with him forever. That's the whole point. Are you operating in that kind of hope or are you just operating in this American hope? 1 Peter 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. See, we have a no, totally different hope. Oh, our hope is that my children, I will have a good life, good retirement, and I will have a well, comfortable life. P- 
pitiful if that is your final hope. As Christians, no. Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. At the end, you know what our living hope is? We'll be with the Lord. We'll be resurrected. We'll be entering into the kingdom of God. We will enjoy God forever. And in his right hand, we will be with him. It's beyond our dreams, beyond our imaginations. What do we do here? Yes, it's important, but that's not all. We have a beyond. Your career here is not all things. Your children is not the all things that you have to worry about. It's beyond that. You have God. And you can be with him forever. That's why we live for him. We work for him. We honor him. We raise our kids for him. We do, do our, pursue our career for him. Therefore, if any other things in this world becomes more important to you than serving and worshiping God, everything becomes sin. Why? We have a new living hope. Think about your life. What is the most important thing in your life? Is it Christ? Or is your current career or relationships? Like, think about it. What's the most important thing? You don't lose a sight of your living hope. If you do not have that hope intact, and if you don't focus on it, you will not persevere in your faith. What helps us to persevere is that we have a new hope, and new hope motivates us, helps us to persevere. So first, what do we mean by perseverance? We operate in the living hope. Second, we operate in patience, therefore. Hebrews 6.12 says, We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Being patient. Yeah, things are not going the way that it is. That's fine. You wait. Seek God. Lord, I don't have my spouse what do I do? Everyone else is getting married. Wait. Be patient. When I was not getting married, in late 20s, even early 30s, everybody, all my friends, they were questioning me. I said, what's wrong with you? We never dated. By the way, I never dated. My wife was the first one. I think she dated before, but I didn't. And uh, anyways... I waited. I got married when I was 33. I was being patient. People are trying to say this, say that. No, time will come. I'm going to be patient. How I? Because I have a new hope, new living hope. Well, some of you are waiting for that. Maybe some of you are waiting for some kind of breakthroughs in your life. Some of you are waiting for, oh, I'm trying. It's only beginning of my career. I don't know what to do. Be patient. I don't know how to raise my kids. My kids are just born and so young. I don't know what to do. Be patient. Think, I, don't, I, I don't see it right now. Well, being patient. How? You have new living hope. As you operate in new living hope, guess what? You operate in patience. Be patient. That's what I mean by persevering. Going through, being by being patient. Not being patient and waiting passively, doing nothing. No. Actively wait, 
I know God is with me. I know he's going to lead me. I know he's going to get me spouse, godly one. I believe it. I'm going to wait and I'm going to see and pray. I'm going, my career, I might not have it right now as, 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 as the way that I want it, but I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to study hard. I'm going to be faithful now today and see what happens. That's patient. That's what I mean by persevering. Persevering also means we operate for preparation. You operate for preparation. Meaning, living in perseverance is not just surviving until the fullness of God's promise. It's about preparing for the fullness of God to God. Fullness of the promise of God in our lives. Meaning you prepare yourself for next step. That's why the same thing as do not wait passively, wait actively. Work on your singleness if you haven't married yet. Work on your relationship with Christ first. Learn to pray and depend on him and see. And the things that you need to change if you are struggling with the laziness, fight it. Discipline yourself. Ask God. But you need to prepare for the next step as God leads you. See, we are preparing for the better tomorrow that will be provided by God's grace. That's how we should live every single day. Preparing for the next step. I know God is with me, therefore he's going to enable me to fight and overcome the things that I'm struggling and I'm looking forward. And what I'm doing right now is, guess what? I'm preparing for the next stage. You know why I'm so crazy about preparing, pre preparing for preparation? 2023 is coming soon. We need to prepare for it. You're going to live like this? You want to just do the same thing, same struggle, same problems? Don't you want to ask God, Lord, help me to overcome. Help me to fight. Help me to be different. Help me to grow in, our, in my spirit. Help me to grow in my faith. Help me to believe in you even more. I want to prepare for the next. That's persevering. Persevering is always preparing. I prepare for the next stage. We are preparing to be used by God for his glory in the way that God has prepared. That's what I mean by persevering. See, we are preparing to raise a new breed of Christians in this generation. We are to be that new breed of Christians. That's what we are doing. That's, a, that's our way that we can persevere. That's how we persevere as we prepare. Amen? If you receive grace of God, guess what? You can persevere. Therefore, Hebrews 10, 36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. You can persevere as you operate in a new hope, new living home. You can persevere as you exercise your patience, waiting actively for God and by doing so, you can persevere as you prepare for the next stage. And look forward to it by faith. So at the end, the promise of God will be fulfilled in and through your life.
Amen. That's what I want in your life. That's the testimonies. In spite of all the failures, Christian life is the your testimony should not be only about successes, successes, successes. There's no one like that. In spite of all that failures and some successes sometimes, guess what? In spite of all that, you know what? I persevered. And at the end, God rewarded me, fulfilled his promise made upon my life and my family. And at the end of the day, I will see him face to face. That I made it. That's the final goal. That's why we can live in confidence. Full of failures, yet we can continue because we know we are preparing for the next stage. We never give up. We persevere. Amen? I don't know about you. It is my prayer. The grace of God is upon you. And this persistent grace is for you and for me. Live it. Enjoy it. Hold on to it. Experience it every day. And, oh, you will experience the glory of God as you believe. Let's pray. Mm -hmm.